So I want to talk about what, how, what kind of attitude do we have to have if we're going to be in the middle of a cultural transformation. Especially regarding the sexual revolution. What kind of attitude do we have to have? How do we we become the church in the marketplace of the sexual atmosphere? And let me give you the context of why I'm speaking about this today. In our city, in Spokane, recently, we had a, uh, the public library system decided to have a, uh, a reading day where some, where some people would read to children from books. แล้วเรากําหนดไว้ว่าจะมีวันแห่งการอ่านหนังสือซึ่งเป็นวันที่พ่อแม่จะอ่านหนังสือให้ลูกฟังจากหนังสือจริงๆนะฮะ And the uh, the people that we're going to read to children were going to be men แล้วคนที่อ่านหนังสือให้เด็กๆฟังนี่ก็จะเป็นผู้ชาย The expression they use is uh, drag queen แล้วเขาใช้คําว่า drag queen นะครับหรือเหมือนกับเป็นกระเทย full grown men that are dressed up like women ก็คือผู้ชายที่แต่งหญิงนั่นเอง and kind of masquerading as women. And the library was hosting them so, so moms and dads could bring their children. And have, and have these men dressed up like women read stories to them. Now you understand that Modeling is one of the modeling is one of the strongest forms of training someone. It's called imprinting. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one of the bird families uh, will imprint. I can't remember if it was ducklings or chickens or something. I, I, I don't remember the story. But I know that, that Jesus used modeling with his disciples. He did things in front of them all the time. Training is not just uh, information. A huge part of training is demonstration. And so what, what promised to be an innocent story time, it began to alarm some mothers in our city. They went to the library and said, I, I don't know if this is a good idea. And immediately they were criticized. You are anti this, you are your haters, you are a strong pushback came from the library and from the community. So they they decided to have the, the, the believers come to the library and, and be presents to 
make some sort of statement And they asked me to come and be one of the speakers. Pastor Jim, we want you to come and you speak. And there'll be the people that are for the trans or for the uh, drag queen reading hour. And the gay and lesbian and transgender. People will be across the street, and they'll be supporting this. And then the Christians will be on this side of the street. And, and we want you to come and be one of our speakers. <laughs> and I was kind of nervous about it. I thought, oh Lord, this is so. I don't know if this is the best way. To... Is this the best way for us to be? How, how do we oppose something? How do we oppose something that we believe is wrong? I mean, is there a, is it possible we could oppose something? But do it in the wrong way. Or could we oppose something and do it in the right way? And right away I said, Lord, what help me? And I found my heart. Not, I wasn't thinking about the people across the street who were opposing us. I was thinking about the people that were going to gather from the church. And I was thinking about, I wonder how they're going to behave and how they're going to speak to the other people. And I found God giving me more, mess, more of a message to our people than to them. So I want to share some of the thoughts I shared with our people. Because I believe, I believe God is going to call us into this arena of, of sex, the sexual culture. And we may not have an answer for everything. But we have to know how God wants us to behave in the midst of this engagement. Does that make sense? So I began to write some things down and I, I ended up preaching the message. And I spent about 60% of the time talking to our, our people. <laughs> and I arrived and of course the, there were people with loudspeakers on our side. Other people. It's like anybody can show up There's going to be a demonstration against the drag queen library reading hour. Everybody come. Anybody can come. And people come with their solution. So we had people with megaphones. 
And they were preaching to the our opponents. And they were proclaiming. They were saying, "You sodomites." The Bible says if you're a sodomite, you're going to go to hell. Unless you repent, repent and turn to Christ. You're going to go to hell. Well, that's you know, in in a true sense, that's. There's some true information there. There, there is a hell. There is a judgment. If, some, if, if someone is a sodomite and they don't turn from that behavior, there is a consequence. But the word of God that speaks those things to that group of people The motivation is a very strong sense of compassion and love. And man, I just when I saw the, the, those brothers, you know, with a loudspeaker, and I, I, I went up to one of them. I said, "Listen, I go understand what you're doing, but." I go, I always look for something. I look for people who are, if they're speaking publicly. I want to talk to them and see if they've wept, if they've wept in the night over their audience. When no one's looking. I want to feel tears in a broken spirit. Not a sense of self-righteousness and I'm right and you're wrong. And I sensed this actually a, almost a hatred for those who were opposing. It grieved my heart. And God, you, I know you want to help your people Carry the aroma of Jesus in the marketplace of this confronting the sexual spirit in our culture. And we have to have wept over the, our audience in the night. So the context is the sexual revolution. And I grew up in the sexual revolution. Peace, love, tie-dye, free sex. If it, feels, if it feels good, do it. Anything goes. I was 16 years old in 1968. I grew up in the end of the 60s. I was a hippie. I think I got there's a picture of me with my truck in there. It's a pretty good picture of me with my truck somewhere. The colored one. It's a colored one. It's pretty good. But uh, I grew up with that, and I was lost, and I was. That's me in my truck. My long hair. I was. Uh, You know, I said at the conference I was a pot smoker and a beer drinker and a, and a, and a, a woman chaser. And uh, 
My mom was an alcoholic, and I had, a, I had a broken heart. And the Lord rescued me and changed me. And the the sexual revolution has made a lot of promises to people. It was launched 50 years ago, and it promised a lot of happiness and joy for people's lives. And there, I have noticed there's a lot of angst. There is a lot of frustration and angst over the unfulfilled promises that the sexual revolution has made. And we have been promised a lot of things from the sexual revolution, fulfillment. And people are more unfulfilled than they've ever been. There's a scripture in Proverbs I want to just read to you. Proverbs 22. Very simple verse. 22, I was thinking about our culture, what we've done. It just says this. It says, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. See, the sexual revolution moves some boundaries. There were some boundaries set around sexuality. And I always say this. I say, we have a loving Heavenly Father who put a beautiful boundary around his gift of sexuality because he knows us better than we know ourselves and he doesn't want us to be destroyed. Let me say it again. We have a loving father who put a beautiful boundary around his gift of sexuality because he knows us better than we know ourselves and he doesn't want us to be destroyed. And the spirit of darkness loosed a sexual revolution. And in the wake of that, there has been divorce and abortion and sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancies. Sexual assault, molestation, single moms, children growing up without parents, guilt, shame, and fear, depression, the harvest has come. We've sown to the whirlwind, the wind, and we've reaped the whirlwind. And instead of people being fulfilled and having the promises come true, there's great brokenness in people's lives. I just think about molestation. I think about molestation. 
And the people are paying the price for this quote freedom. Sexual freedom. It's not free. Sexual freedom is not free. It costs a lot. And our children are paying the price for the sexual revolution. My generation is the one that loses that spirit. We watch our children and our grandchildren have to pay the price for the what we've loosed on the culture. Children are paying the price. And just in the issue of molestation. Our culture is being forced to surrender the safe safe places. We're being forced to surrender what should be safe places for children. Bathrooms. As a culture, we're forced to surrender what should be safe places for children, locker rooms, bathrooms. To make room for what is called a psychological safe place. For men and women who are confused in their identity. One in six young men today, they say one in six are molested. They're touched in the wrong way. One in, one in four young women have had unwanted sexual experiences. Molestation is a violence and violation of a person's sacred sexual identity. The place of safety is gone. The ancient boundary of sexuality in marriage has been eroded. We built a fire outside of the fireplace. And it's burning the house down. If you want a fire, you build a fire in a fireplace. And the fire is a blessing. You build a fire outside of a fireplace. It burns the house down and it kills people. And what we've done with sexuality is just that. We've taken the gift of sexuality outside its proper context and it's burning the house down. It's scarring a young generation. 
It's leaving them damaged. It's burning our nation down. And today there are movements that are suggesting that sex with children is just another sexual identity. Did you hear what I said? There are movements gaining acceptance today that are suggesting that sex with children is just another sexual preference. It's birthed out of a sexual spirit that is insatiable and will stop at nothing no matter how much hurt is caused to satisfy itself. Sex with unmarried people. Sex with other men. Sex with other women. Sex with multiple people. Changing sexual identities. Transgenderism. And very soon, sexual experience with children is done. The ancient boundary has been moved. The ancient boundary has been moved. We've taken this beautiful secondary reality of sexuality and, it, and we've elevated it to the primary place in our life, in our cultures. Whenever we take something that's a beautiful secondary reality in our lives and we put it in the primary place of our lives it becomes an idol and it cannot be sustained. God never ordained that sexuality would become a primary become a primary thing in the place of our lives. It wasn't designed to fulfill us. The sexual experience is powerful, but it's a secondary reality in our lives. It can't be the, the focus of the human heart on something. Only a worship of God can sustain the focus of the human heart. So we made sexual, we've made sexual experience primary in our lives. Sex becomes an idol. It becomes the most important place in our life. We're left unfulfilled, wondering why. And we of all people should understand that Jesus Christ is to be the primary part of our life. So who are we? Who are we as God's people as we 
as we begin to step into the marketplace. See, I suggest to you that we're God's broken-hearted sons and daughters. That we understand 2 Chronicles 7.14. God in 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, My people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. And then God makes a promise. He says, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We should know that better than anyone else as a church. Our spirit of humility our, our spirit of seeking God's face and our spirit to turn away from our wickedness our own wickedness instead of pointing the finger at someone else's wickedness see God doesn't say point the finger at someone else's wickedness and I will heal your land but he places, he places the the responsibility on us. And if we will look in the mirror, if we will look in the mirror and see what kind of character we have. And the Lord says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin. And I will start doing something to bring healing to your land. See, we understand that this wicked way, maybe it's the fact that we haven't done some things we should do. We haven't addressed the poor in the right way. We haven't cared for the poor. We haven't sought to stop the killing of innocent children in abortion. We haven't, we haven't helped the single moms enough. Or the orphans. Or, or foster children. Some of those could be our wicked ways. We haven't talked about sexuality to the next generation. That could be a wicked way. But there's the possibility that some of our wicked ways also could be that in our struggle to recover our, our nation that we begin to have a hatred for our opponents instead of a broken-hearted compassion for who they are. Maybe our wicked way is taking the grace of God in our life and using that grace of God to beat someone up. I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm righteous and who are, look at you. When we need to look in the mirror and remember that what were we like the day before we surrendered to Christ. And God's given us mercy to see his glory and his love for us. 
We should never forget that we've received His mercy in ways that we we are so undeserving. And those that are promoting the gay agenda in our culture. They're not the enemy. They may be our opponents, but they're not our enemy. They may vote differently than we do, but they're not our enemy. They may, they may hold values different than the values we hold, but they are not our enemy. We have one God, and we have one enemy. And in our zeal to restore the things that we've lost in our nation, we should be careful we don't make the people that God loves who were just like we were when we were lost. That we make them the enemy. I'm reminded of Jesus' love. His agape love never said to people how you're living is right. But it always said to them, who you are is so important to my Father and to me. We have to believe for a supernatural indwelling of the agape love of Jesus Christ in our lives. That we can go up to the broken and encounter them and interact with them. And believe by doing that, we are not blessing their behavior, but we're valuing them as people. When I went to the library day, yes, where I went the fir- at first, I parked my car and I went over to the other side. I was just walking around and everybody's got their rainbow flags out and, and I'm right there with them. I mean, I'm thinking these people are loved by God. Now they're completely wrong but they're valued by God. I'm going to meet some of these people. I went up, I said, hey, how you, how you doing? How you doing? You're, you're, at the, you're at the rally, the protest, huh? I go, yeah, that's kind of crazy. I go, it's crazy, isn't it? I go, I just wanted to check it out, too. Well, I'm, actually, I'm speaking in 20 minutes on the other side. I shook a hand with one guy. One guy was named Micah, Bible name, Micah. Micah are you, you're, you're probably got an opinion about this, don't you? Yeah, I got an opinion. Yeah, I do too, you know. I wanted to humanize myself and I wanted to humanize them. I wasn't validating their viewpoint. 
interacting with them. I was believing that the agape love in my life would communicate in a supernatural way that how they were living and what they were deciding was wrong. But at the same moment, I would be communicating the how valuable they were to the heavenly Father. Just like Jesus with the tax collectors and the adulteresses. Got one enemy. We may have opponents, but we only have one enemy. There's a lady in our country. She's on television. Her, her is Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know if anybody knows who she is. She's popular. She's kind. She's clever. She's witty. She's an entertainer. She's a lesbian. She's married to her wife. She's 61 years old. And about a month ago, I heard something about her that, because I'm in the middle of a process where God's changing my heart. I go, Lord, I want to have a compassion for people who are choosing to live a certain way, completely different than the way I would live. And having a compassion for them does not mean you're validating what their choice is. แล้วการที่เรามีหัวใจสงสารเขาไม่ได้หมายความว่าเราทําให้สิ่งที่เขาเลือกนั้นมันถูกต้องไปเรียนกับ learned cuz Ellen DeGeneres this talk show host she she let a secret out of her life she confessed something in her life that happened to her when she was 14 years old แล้วในรายการของเธอเนี่ยก็มีครั้งหนึ่งที่เธอเคยพูดเล่าสิ่งที่เกิดขึ้นในชีวิตของเธอเมื่อเธออายุ 14 she said that she was molested when she was 14 years old. That her mother got cancer, breast cancer. She had a lump in her breast and she got breast cancer. And her stepfather that was married to her mother told her when she was 14 that he needed, to make, he needed to make sure that she wasn't going to have breast cancer. And that he needed to examine her. So he did every time he saw her. And that kind of violation and violence against the sacredness of a young woman's sexuality, that, that holy, holy temple of, the, of, of Christ, temple of the Holy Spirit, as God made us, there was a violation there. 
มันมีการคุกคามลับเส้นเข้าไปที่นั่น Suddenly I wasn't surprised to, to understand that Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian. แล้วหลังจากนั้นผมก็ไม่ใช่เรื่องยากที่ผมแต่เข้าใจได้ว่าสุดท้ายคุณเอลเลนดิเจนเนอเรสเนี่ยเขาก็เป็นเลสเบียนแล้วก็แต่งงานเพราะว่าด้วยเหตุการณ์ในชีวิตของเธอมีเหตุผลใดที่เธออยากแต่งงานกับผู้ชายเพราะว่าถ้าผู้ชายที่อยู่ในชีวิตของเธอนั้นคุกคามเธอทำร้ายเธอใส่ความกลัวเข้าไปในชีวิตของเธอใส่ความเจ็บปวดเข้าไปในชีวิตของเธอ And in her thinking, and her 14-year-old mind, and her 17-year-old mind, and her 21-year-old mind. แต่อายุ14 17หรือ21ก็ตาม She said, "I never really want attention from a man again. I think I'm going to be really safe." ซึ่งเป็นเหตุผลที่เธอสามารถพูดได้ว่าฉันไม่อยากให้ผู้ชายมาสนใจฉันว่าฉันอยู่กับผู้หญิงฉันปลอดภัย That's the most logical thinking in the world. That I suffered at the hands of a man this horrible pain, and I never want to have this attention ever again from a man. So the most logical thing I can do is connect with a woman. This does not invalidate what God says about that behavior. Because God wants to send His church into that very scenario, declaring the restoration of God for her. And the horrible, the horrible wrongness of what happened to her. But we have a problem. We have an LGBTQ movement. เรามีกลุ่ม LGBTQ ที่เป็นการเคลื่อนไหวเหล่านี้ wants the genesis of their movement to be positive ที่พยายามที่จะให้จุดเริ่มต้นของความเป็นเพศทางเรื่องเหล่านี้กลายเป็นเรื่อง this is normal เราพยายามบอกว่านี่เป็นเรื่องปกติ I was born this way people are born this way I've always felt this way ฉันเกิดมาแบบนี้ฉันรู้สึกอย่างนี้มาตลอด they want the genesis of their movement to be normal And positive. When the reality is that the genesis of this movement is born out of the violence and violation of children's sacred sexuality. And they want to ignore. The reality of what happened to so many of them when they were young. This is what we're faced with. To me, it's a pathway for us to cultivate a spirit of compassion for those people. I began to imagine what a little 14-year-old Ellen DeGeneres felt like when that father touched her in that way, day after day and night after night. And I thought Ellen DeGeneres is not my enemy. She's a daughter. That is loved by God, whom the spirit of darkness targeted for destruction. And we have the gospel of restoration.
We have the answer. We have the healing. We have the restoration. There's others. There's a thing they call now, good luck on this one, rapid onset gender dysphoria. <laughs> they call it rapid onset gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is confusion about whether I'm a man or a woman. And now in the sexual culture, there is rapid onset that, that this happens very quickly in a young person. Like, oh, I feel this way all of a sudden. Because suddenly young people, because of peer pressure, and because of loneliness, they don't have a group that, that, that encourages them. them. And all of a sudden they say, I'm, I'm gay, I'm, I'm trans. And all of a sudden they have all these friends. And they're all supporting them. And they start looking at websites. And they have a group of people that love them and support them and celebrate them. And before they were a 13 or 14 year old with no friends and they were lonely. And this is how it begins. It's completely different than the medical studies show. We have young women, 13 and 14 years old, having double mastectomies, having their breasts cut off. Because of this confusion. When I heard it, I just said, God, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Help me feel and know the pain and the confusion. We have runaways, homeless teenagers everywhere. Runaway girls. They run away from their house and they live on the streets. You know why? Because they're very smart young ladies. Because they're not going to stay in a house where their father or their uncle is going to touch them in the wrong way again that night. They would rather run away and possibly have one, two, three, four, five nights where nothing happens to them. Living on the street which is safer than being in their very own home where they absolutely know for sure that night after night after night those sexual things are going to happen to them again.
That's logical behavior. นั่นเป็นพฤติกรรมที่ทำออกมาอย่างมีเหตุมีผล So many young people are fleeing this, this aggressive heterosexual cultural spirit. Instead of, instead of sexuality being in the sacredness of marriage, this aggressive heterosexual sexual spirit. It's like forces young people into a hiding place. Any part of the church that begins to get involved in this area, we're immediately called haters. The label is out You're homophobic and you're a hater. This is the label we're going to get. This is the label we're getting right now. Listen to me. We have to understand something about who the church has been historically. We have to understand church history, okay? We have to get our identity established that That we know we are not haters. We are in disagreements. But we are not motivated by any sorts of hatred. That wants to silence any kind of discussion on this matter. And if we want to be liked by a culture that is increasingly rejecting God's values. We're picking the wrong lifestyle. <laughs> Jesus Himself said, "Don't be don't be surprised if the world hates you." It hated me. It hated me before it hated you. The mission of the church. The church has always loved the groups of people that she reached out to. Hatred has never been a motive historically for the church. In her mission work, sharing the message of the gospel and love for those people we were speaking to has always been the standard. Listen to those we have reached out to. We have always loved the alcoholic. And called them to a different lifestyle. We have loved the drug addict, and we have called them to a different lifestyle. We have loved the adulterer, and called them to forsake their adultery and live a different lifestyle. We have loved the murderer, and called them to forsake their anger and hatred and murder. We love the bank robber. We've loved the gambler. We've loved the stealer. We've loved the gang member. We've loved the prostitute. We've loved the fatherless. We've loved the orphan. We have loved the oppressed men and women of the cultures of the earth. We've 
We've loved the women who've had abortions. We've loved the men who paid for those abortions. We love the college girl who's lost her purity. We've loved the depressed. We've loved those who were molested. We've loved those committing heterosexual immorality. And we love those committing homosexual sin. Same-sex relationships. Transgender sexual sin. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's not our opinion. It's not our, our political position. It's not our philosophy. It's what God's word says. It's the message of the gospel. That you can come and repent and be changed by the power of God. They're going to call us haters. And we need to have an answer. And part of our answer needs to be vocal. But another part of our answer needs to be a demonstration. And we need to let others answer. That accusation made against us. Others answer. And when we are called haters, I believe someone else will answer for us. The police chief. I want the police chief, the one to answer for us. I want the social worker to answer for us. I want the school principals of Thailand to answer for us. They're going to answer and say, those people you call haters are our best people. They're, one, they're the ones spending time teaching our kids to read. They're the ones helping the ones that just got out of jail. They're the ones helping the single moms and the fatherless. They're the ones at the food bank. They're the ones that are adopting the orphans. They're fostering the children. These people you call haters, they're our best people. Who are you accusing them? It will shut the mouth of our enemies. That's how we're going to contend in our culture. Someone else will answer the accusation. They're haters. The police chief, the social worker, the principal, the food distribution people, the people running the orphanages and the elderly folks' homes. That's how we're going to answer. That's how we're going to establish ourselves in this cultural war about the sexuality of our culture. That's our answer. That's our position.
I invite you into the battle marked by loving our opponents weeping over our audience in the night weeping over our audience in the night Remembering that probably every gay or lesbian person were either actually molested or atmospherically molested with a violence and a violation against the sacredness of their sexuality. Only then will we be like Jesus. As we step into the marketplace to call a nation to purity and righteousness. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Let's stand to our feet. Hold your hands up. Father, I commission the church to be in the marketplace with a broken heart. I pray every broken daughter they see, they will think about the brokenness and the pain. Every gay person or Lesbian person they see. That in their minds they'll see a little boy or girl. Where the spirit of violence and violation is assaulting them. It will break our hearts. Father, help us love those who oppose us. Help us serve. Remind us that the church has never hated anyone. Break our embarrassment and any shame we have because of those accusations. And give us the boldness of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the gentleness of the lamb of God. As we represent you in the earth for the glory of God. Amen. Amen.